Howdy folks and welcome to episode 39 of the podcast. This week I have a truly inspirational guest for you guys and her name is Olivia Crisara. This woman's journey is nothing short of amazing from battling cancer in her teens to being 25 and absolutely thriving in the skin she's in. I won't share too much in the introduction, I'll leave it to Olivia to explain her journey. However, she's just doing incredible things for the health and well-being of females in modern day society. With social media dominating a huge portion of our day, it has seen a huge increase in mental illness and chronic disease. Alongside with these horrible connotations that too much screen time can bring, it brings an unrealistic expectation of what we should look like and what we should do in our daily life. Olivia aims to stamp out the BS on social media and help the women of our generation love the skin they're in. She does this through holistically educating her girls on all the different aspects that make up a healthy individual. No, it's not just training or hitting your macros, it's incorporating breath work with your high intensity session. And it's understanding that a mum of three has a completely different lifestyle to an 18 year old uni student. So five high intensity sessions per week are not going to work for the both of them. And Olivia explains that to all her clients and aims to change the stigma around training and nutrition and steer away from the bro science diet that has flooded the gym environment for years. Olivia shares her journey with us today and encourages us that we can work towards a happier, healthier body, mind and spirit. Over to you, Olivia. Olivia Crisara, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria Hello, podcast. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. And buddy. Yes, just about to paint the picture for you guys. We are currently sitting next to two beautiful canine friends. We've got Buddy that's sitting on Olivia's lap and Robbie, which is Olivia's dog, and he's perched outside like a lovely good boy. <laughs> Olivia has gone above and beyond today, guys. She's produced the goods in terms of snacks. We've got hazelnut cookies, apples with chia seeds. Yeah, Am chia. I correct? We've got cranberries, pecans, goji berries, and walnuts, all my favorites. Perfect. So if we need to stop the podcast at any point, it's just to eat. <laughs> Olivia, you have such an amazing story, and I'm pumped to get in, into it. Um, you've been through so much, and I think that you're so inspiring for not only the male population, but for female, for not only the females, but for the males as well. So I'm really pumped to get into it. But let's go right back to the beginning. What was life like for you growing up? All right. Well, I think that... Um, Thinking back um, as a toddler, I think I was very blessed um, in my family. I've come from an Italian family. We're just given so much love. My parents just really gave me so much love growing up. And I had a really beautiful, um, connected family in terms of cousins and aunties and uncles. We had a really beautiful family dynamic. Um, so I was really, really blessed and really lucky. Um, but in terms of my health and fitness, I was never really um, inclined in the way of sports or anything like that. Um, I think that I definitely formed an emotional relationship with food from a young age. Um, so I'm working now with a lot of psychologists and really trying to understand the psychology behind, you know, why I became overweight, you know, in the middle, you know, in my teens or mid-teens. Sorry, I'm just going to put Robbie. I mean, I'm going to put Buddy. <laughs> Buddy's squirming all over the place. <laughs> um, I think that... I had a, an anxious attachment style to, to my mum when I was younger. Um, so when she would leave the room, I think that I used to get very upset. Um, she told me a story that on my first day of kinder, I cried when she left and you know, I was very hysterical. And I think that um, I was possibly, you know, 
found I possibly found food as a way to you know ease those nervousness or anxieties as a as a young child um so I did form an emotional relationship with food and then growing up I I can remember food always being there for me as a way that um you know made me feel better in in certain circumstances yeah definitely and I know chatting before the podcast we have similar journeys within Mm. uh, an attachment to food and now looking back on what you know now what do you think was the root cause of, of your attachment to you know, that connection with uh, your mum and then Mm. towards food as well? I think that, um, I think it's something that isn't taught. It may just be innate. It may just be, it could even just go back into, um, you know, ancestors and looking, what's he found? (laughs) Buddy's chewing food. Buddy's found a treat. (laughs) Buddy, what you doing? Come on. Um, I think I think that may go back to even ancestors and predisposed, um, you know, predisposed kind of um, psychological um, that things that were passed down to me before I was even born. Um, being from an Italian family, I think that we just turn to food in happiness and we turn to food in sadness when we're grieving. We turn to food when we bring everybody together. So I think that is real is really a driving force for me where when I was sad, I, I was probably eating. When I was happy, I was eating. And you don't really differentiate the differences between what the purpose of food is and why we're consuming it. Yeah, definitely. And being from a European background myself, that mm. food is the center of attention and, mm. you know, everything is revolved around food, whether, you know, you're cooking, you're learning to cook with your with your grandparents or you're sitting down to a lovely meal. So it's definitely been a factor for my development and my relationship with food. Um, but this podcast is about you and your journey. So I'm really keen to find <laughs> well, out. Well, we're very synchronized. Yes, so definitely. <laughs> definitely. I'm keen to find out what school life was like for you as well. Um, so I think... Um I, I actually always, I actually grew up thinking that I was quite extroverted as, as a girl, um, because I was quite, I was quite loud and friendly and sociable. Um, but I think that that was all just a mask of someone who was actually quite introverted and spent a lot of time with themselves, which I did. Um, I always felt quite socially anxious in primary school and high school without kind of no anybody knowing or understanding. And I think mental health, you know, 15 years ago when I was in school and high school, I think that it was not something that was spoken about. Um, so or it wasn't as relevant. So I think that um, I probably dealt with those, thinking back now, I probably dealt with a lot of social anxiety issues growing up and through high school. Um, and I was, I was quite overweight in high school. Um, and actually at age 12 and 13, I was actually on Jenny Craig. So thinking back, that was actually a really early time for me to start thinking about dieting and my body. Um, so probably throughout my whole high school life, weight was always kind of at the forefront of my, um, my personal issues, or it was always something that kind of made up who I was. Um, but I obviously was just not aware, you know, going to those consultations um, at Jenny Craig and re- remembering being put on the scale and, the, and that pressure, you know, I that probably did kind of start molding my, you know, my insecurities. Definitely. And you mentioned before, it's such a young age to be, you know, thinking of dieting and, uh, and mm-hmm. body image and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, what influenced your decision to go to Jenny Craig and why Jenny Craig opposed to you know the Mm. holistic approach well I think that 
I at 12 and 13 you it wasn't it wasn't obviously my decision I think it was obviously a, a family decision that um was kind of put there for me um to help and I think 10 years ago we didn't have fast information I mean we have Instagram now we have Facebook now we have YouTube now we are so much more educated about how we can actually take control of our own health and I think back then these kind of fitness modalities like Light and Easy and Jenny Craig they were the in they were the in trending things because these people were the ones that were supposed to support you and help you we didn't really understand much else um, previously to that um, so that kind of started my journey um, and then from there I kind of we had lots of, of highs and peaks and lows. Yeah. Definitely. And what was your experience with Jenny Craig? If you can remember, what sort of things were they getting you to do to hmm. ba- lose weight? I think that, um, like thinking back now, I was very, I wasn't, I was no, in no way con- a conscious person when I was, you know, that age. I think I just trusted the experience. And I think as well, I was a bit confused as a teen. I don't think I really understood what was happening at all. I don't think I really understood anything about health. I didn't understand anything about fitness. I just knew that I was probably, you know, five or six kilos too heavy for my average height and weight because back then it was BMI. That was, that's what anyone went off, you know, but I was quite a, you know, a curvy girl in my teen life because that's genetically I, I was, you know. Um, so I think that it was probably very inaccurate um, for me to go through that process. But I mean, that was all part of, you know, me finding my own, you know, my own, knowledge about health and fitness yeah definitely Um, but I did remember I did remember you know feeling the pressure of you know needing to get on that scale once a week um and you know thinking back it's probably actually um molded the way that I now teach my girls and the way that I know how not to make them feel definitely and at the time did you ever you know consider to be changing any other departments in your life like your your sleep routine or or your exercise regime or was it strictly nutrition related no not at all um yeah like I said it was like you just you don't have the knowledge like I did not have the knowledge I didn't have that information through my phone I wasn't googling ways to help myself which I you know can do now my own research it was more just like okay eat this food and um try and you know move a bit more I remember I do remember like getting like getting outside and just like running laps of my park all the time because I just knew that I needed to burn some energy but it didn't go any deeper than that yeah for sure well, that sort of sparked, you know, the the beginning of your health and fitness mm. journey. And I know you went through a bit of a rough patch in your teens, mm-hmm. which is incredibly inspiring now to see that you're on the opposite end. Mm-hmm. And Olivia, I'll let you chat about that yeah. with your cancer diagnosis. And yeah, yeah you sure. take the ball. So like, um, that actually does, is very relevant into even my Jenny Craig um, situation. So actually in a consult um with one of um the people who was guiding me through that experience with jenny craig one week i had lost like four kilos and um and she said oh what what do you think why do you think that is and i just said i don't know i said but i do know that i'm feeling really tired and i was almost falling asleep in the consultation um and then coming out of there that was actually my last consult that didn't like little did i know i'd never actually be going back there and i was about to go through something completely extraordinary but um i um then developed a pneumonia so pneumonia is basically you have fluid in your lungs um what was called pleurisy actually so it's a form of pneumonia um and i was in hospital in the royal children's hospital for two weeks getting treated for that 
Um, and um, I had that for quite a while. And um, even coming out of the hospital, I was still recovering. And my sisters, my sisters and I have got two older sisters. We all used to share one bedroom. And um, they would say that at nighttime when I was sleeping, it sounded like I was wheezing. So I was kind of struggling for air. So I had to sleep sitting upright. So my mum would put pillows behind my back to help me sleep. Yeah, my doctors thought that that was just my um, pneumonia still kind of present. And about six months went by and I went for my final x-ray and um, my radiologist came out. And radiologists aren't actually allowed to give you any information about your x-rays because they're not professionals. Um, But he actually came out of my final x-ray and said to my mum, you need to take this girl to the Royal Children's Hospital right now because he had obviously seen something else other than the pneumonia. So then um, I was rushed straight to the emergency um, room and from there my cancer journey started so the doctors did um, you know, extent, uh, lots of CT scans and um, we ha- I had a biopsy done where they took a piece of um, the tumour that they had seen to test it then it was you know, tested positive for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma which is um, my type of cancer so my journey really started there and then I had um, chemotherapy for a year um, and it really it really Thinking back now, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like I needed that journey. That was my purpose to go through that and to really have a higher understanding of why we are here on this earth and why we are who we are. Um, I did not realize it at the time. At the time, I was quite strong. Um, I had a very flight or fight mode kind of mentality where I was like, um, I actually turned around when they told me that I had cancer and said, can I still go outside and pat my dog? Because I was just like, am I going to be allowed to do the things that I want to do? So it never really concerned me. It kind of went straight over my head. Um, The only times that I felt like I really felt the... um, the extensiveness of what was going on was probably at the lows of, you know, the after effects of chemotherapy where, you know, you've got ulcers throughout your whole mouth, you've got ulcers down your throat, you can't talk, um, and you're just in kind of real chronic pain. Um, Those are the times that I really felt my body. Um, But other than that, I had a real soldier mentality through the whole process. Yeah, definitely. And that's really evident through your attitude now. And I'm sure all my listeners at home would be glued to their whatever they're listening mm-hmm. on, whether it's out loud or, or their earphones and realize that you're so inspiring. And, and the mentality that you had at such a young age to be able to combat that is incredible. Now, Olivia, what was, you know, the emotions going through your brain when the doctors did diagnose you with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? Um, I think that uh, at 15... At 15 years old, you um, you don't really you don't really process the information at all. It it doesn't it doesn't process, and you don't really let it sink in. My my biggest concerns, which actually fed further into my social anxieties, were that I was so separated from all of the teens that I had I were friends with at the time, all the girls that I was friends with, you know, taken out of, I went to an all girls, you know, Catholic high school and um, I was just taken away from my year. And, you know, we were all very close and like, I loved all of the girls at school. They were all so supportive. And so not having, not being able to interact and grow up with your peers took a really big toll on me. And um, I felt very isolated and I felt very different, um, especially because I had spent a year around, you know, doctors and cancer doctors and using terms like hematology and you know just it just completely changed the way my brain worked um and the things that I focused on um so 
when I went back to school and I eventually went back to my peers, I did feel a big difference between myself and them. I no longer felt a part of my, a part of, you know, my year level. And I think um, that that was probably the, one of the most difficult things to deal with. You know, I remember spending a lot of time, you know, just teaching myself photography and, um, you know, in the dark room and just doing a lot of probably alone time because I, I did need that time to reflect on what had happened and I kind of did, had been isolated for so long, you know, in a hospital with, you know, sick children dying that going back to school kind of felt very unreal. You know, you're around kids who don't really realise you know, what they have. And I remember just being at school sometimes looking around and just thinking like, these people have absolutely no idea like what's really happening out there to other kids and to babies. You know, being in hospital was absolutely traumatizing you know I thinking back now I wish I wish that I had been going to a psychologist I wish that you know I was enlightened to all of the things that I am about now but you just don't know at the time it's just not there it's not relevant you know what's relevant is you know your treatment and literally being saved and you know saving your own life and having doctors try and help you and you know your parents are worried about literally your life we're not really thinking about kind of mental aspects at that point so that was all really internalized for me um but watching you know three and four year olds go through chemotherapy and not make it and die and um having to deal with that personally and then having to question your own life and then having to um deal with the guilt of them passing and you making it through all of these things were the hardest things to go through for me um but I wouldn't have it any other way because I it that that was to then form where I'm at now and what I'm doing now. And it's all like the synchronicity of it all is just like quite flawless. And like, I couldn't be happier with like who I am now today and with my journey. Amazing, Olivia. And the mentality that you have now is, is absolutely incredible and inspiring. Olivia, you mentioned before that being involved in that situation when you went back into the school environment, mm-hmm. they people didn't, you know, really know mm. what was happening, and kids are so oblivious, mm-hmm. which is which is fine as a mm. kid, you know, you're you're often nurtured towards the world, and, and I mm. think that's a good good thing mm. to have. You're not growing up so fast, but being in that situation forced you to, you know, be beyond your years as a kid. So how do you think that that this horrible situation made you mature quicker and be the person that you are today? Um put you on the spot here yeah um it um I think it just it gave me a certain comfortability to want to be around adults all the time which is funny but I think that like I I resent the situation a little bit as well because I did miss out on so many pivotal points and points in kind of age 15 16 17 which is really where everyone was kind of finding themselves and having that fun and like just learning so much about themselves. I did miss all of that. Um, but I learned so much about myself in such a mature way, like you said. Yeah. Definitely. And we've sort of bypassed, you know, your treatment mm-hmm. and, and what happened there. So do you want to, for the listeners at home, tell us what yeah. your treatment consisted of and how long it took? Sure. Um, so I had, they ended up finding a tumour that was 15 centimetres um, by 13 centimetres in height and width on my chest. Um, on top of my lungs so that is the reason why when I was sleeping that wheezing was happening because that tumor was actually pushing against my esophagus um, so I couldn't breathe and actually the day that I went into hospital for treatment I was supposed to go on survival camp with my peers and 
my cancer doctor said to me, if you went on that trip, like we're not, we wouldn't be a hundred percent if you would, would have come back from that trip. Um, because the tumor was so big at that time. And, um, all through this process, these six months of this cancer growing because I had the pneumonia, nobody could find it. So it was growing and growing and growing and it actually got quite massive. Um, and the tumor was then pushing against one of my jugular veins and because it was pressing down on my jugular vein, it actually formed a big blood clot there. Um, so going into hospital, the doctors or the oncologists really just said that I needed to have, oh, sorry, buddy. He's going back in his cage. <laughs> um, the, the doctors really just said to me, you need to have, you know, a year's worth of chemotherapy. Um, and oh, it's funny that I'm talking about this today because in the past two weeks, I've actually done been doing so much research into the actual drugs that I was having during that chemotherapy. There's one in particular called doxyrubicin, um, which is a red chemotherapy that actually makes your tears red um, because it's going you know straight through your bloodstream. Um, so you know the chemotherapy itself was very intense. Um, the effects it has on your body is very toxic, um, and at the time I didn't realize it but now within my body I am feeling it and I I can feel those side effects and I I am understanding that it's something that's impacted my whole life and my health but um yeah I had chemotherapy for a year and then after that year um you know I was in and out of hospital a few um a few things that you know happened throughout that year were kind of that stand out for me would probably be, um, you know, every second week I'd have um, a, what's called a lumbar puncture. So I'd be put under sedation and then um, doctors and surgeons would inject or put a needle in the bottom of my spine and um, that chemotherapy would go straight up to my spine and to my brain. And, you know, it's just, it has an effect on everyone. You know, my mum my had to sign a waiver for that to happen every second week, you know, just to give that permission. But you know, there's you know, so many risks that they say to you, but they don't really give you a choice because that's just what needs to happen. So um, thinking back down, there were, there were so many kind of um, unreal, unreal moments that happened. Um, I had to go home with a chemo bomb. So what, what that is, is basically like you, you get um, chemotherapy goes through your body through kind of like an external device that you can take home. Um, and so I'll be at home still having chemotherapy. Um, and they put a, they put a port in me. So it's basically literally a port. So a little silver ball that was connected, um, underneath my skin on, on my side, um, so that the nurses could then prick that ball or that port when they wanted to, you know, put chemotherapy through my body. So you kind of just feel like a tap. You kind of just feel like a pin cushion a lot of the time. You know, I'd be getting woken up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning to blood tests be to be taken and um, rushed, you know, to emergency and all these kind of things when you're at home and your blood cells are low and you get isolated because your immune system's so low that you're not allowed to be around, you know, anyone else in case you catch something. And, yeah, you, you do feel like... Um, you do feel like you're kind of in a fishbowl for a lot of the time. Yeah, for sure. And it's I can't even begin to imagine what life was like for you during those years. It's mm. horrific. But seeing the resilience and, and you come out the other end is, is very inspiring and in how you sort of devoted your life to be able to educate and empower, <coughs> you know, the whole community to, to be able to look past smaller things in life and find, you know, their true meaning is very, very amazing. Olivia, throughout your treatment and throughout these these dark times for lack of a better term who were you looking to for support what what were you using there 
Um, I really had my mum with me for a whole year. Um, but I think that being being a bratty teen at age 15, 16, I wanted to do everything myself. I wanted to be very independent. Um, I was quite... I was had a front on that was quite, I'm okay. And I don't want anyone to worry because I really was... I was very aware of my surroundings and I knew how devastating that this was for my parents and for my family. So I, I didn't really let myself... Um, I didn't let myself really absorb anything that was happening I had a very big wall up for a lot of the time Um, I didn't sit down and cry about it I don't remember actually ever crying about it Um, I never actually remembered really processing what was going on with me you know when I lost my hair I had my hair shaved off I don't remember being emotional about it when my hair was falling about I didn't remember being emotional about it and um, I think that I think that was just such a um a survival mechanism for me of how I was going to get through was that I was just going to be super, super strong. But um, it wasn't until later, until after the, the cancer had gone away and I was in treat, I was in remission, sorry, um, that I started to really come back down to earth and realise what I had just been through. And then I had developed, you know, chronic anxiety, chronic depression, um, P, uh, PTSD, so post-traumatic stress and... Um, yeah, I think I started to evolve every year after treatment. Every single year for me after I had cancer was bringing something new. I was learning something new. I was trying to understand something more about what had just happened to me. And I have been doing that, I think, every year for the past 10 years. Because this year will be 10 years that I've been in remission. Wow. Yeah. It's so evident through everything you're doing, you know, in particular with women's health. And I know we're going to dive into that a little mm-hmm. bit later on. But Olivia, I was just about to say that, you know, you you're being so strong for so long it has to have a a turning point where you you know you can't run off Mm. pure adrenaline anymore and I'm sure your family would have been so proud of you in that time being you know like the tight knit holding them together and proving to them that if you're you know being so strong then they can be strong too so a testament to yourself well done (laughs) now it seems very unreal it still feels like very it still feels like a dream when you think about it because you're not really living in your body. Definitely. You're very exerted out of my body. And I think that's I think that's where actually the process of me having an out of body experience was like began to shape my relationship with myself because I gave my body physically over to the hands of these professional people. I no longer had control of my body. So I think that um yeah, I think that's where that all stemmed from as well. Yeah, for sure. It's a very, very amazing story. Olivia, and after the cancer, you know, had been removed from your body and you were in mm-hmm. remission, you obviously wanted to take control of your health again. Mm-hmm. And, and the first step for you was weight loss, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it didn't really happen, like, it didn't really happen so, um, like, kind of instant and brilliantly as well. I would have loved it to happen. I think with me... Um, I'm definitely one of those people where I need to I need to go through it to grow through it. Like I need I need to go through all of the hardships to come out and actually have that lesson and have that enlightenment and that euphoric moment. And um, so when I when I did go back to school, um, I I really became someone who was traumatized, hurt, angry, sad and everything in between without actually knowing how to handle any of it. So um, I was kind of like a bit of a class clown and you could ask anyone in my year level. I was kind of just that one that tried to, you know, make everyone laugh all the time. And um, 
I um I ended up starting to add or gain a lot of weight, um, and that was a lot to do with the fact that I had been on a lot of steroids as well from the hospital, a drug called prednisolone. Um, so all of the chemotherapy, all of those after medications um, really affected my mood and um, then my mood then affected what I ate and then it became this vicious cycle. Um, and then I went to Europe with my sisters and um, I think that trip for me, which was now, what, would have been us eight years ago, nine years ago, um, that trip really helped me to see that I was one, you know, one minuscule person in the whole world. And um, I think that made me think deeper than my circumstance and deeper than what had happened to me um, and deeper than just the Royal Children's Hospital made me see that this was happening to people all over the world. Um, but also there were people all over the world that I had never met. So there are so many stories and so many people I wanted to connect with. Um, so I think that when I came back from that Europe trip, I had a kind of a pivotal moment where I thought to myself, right, I actually am not the healthy person that I want to be. Um, so I ended up connecting with people in the gym environment um, with my friends at the time. And I met um, I met this girl named Jess Black and um, Jess was physically appealing. She like, to me anyway, and it wasn't, it wasn't actually just her physical aspect to herself. And if she ends up listening to this, hey Jess. Um, but she had, I just remember seeing her and thinking that she had a certain confidence about her that I had never seen in any other person before. And it was something that I had never felt in myself. So when, um, when I saw Jess Black, I went up to her and I said to her, like, like, what do you know? Like, how are you, how are you this confident woman and how are you like shining the way that you are? And, um, she ended up, you know, taking me on board as, um, as a client of hers and we trained together four to five days a week and um, she taught me how to eat and what foods to eat. Um, but I think at the time I, I switched back on that, um, that, sh that soldier mentality and I went, right, I need to lose weight. I have a lot of weight to lose. I'm going to get it done. So I did like 40 kilos in six months. So I had a complete body transformation. Um, but still I had done no work with my mental health. I'd still had not looked deeper into my anxiety. I had not looked deeper into my depression. I had not looked deeper into my post-traumatic stress. I hadn't talked to anyone about my cancer. I kind of just went boom, boom, boom like that. Phase one, done. Phase two, right now I'm into that weight loss. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I was not conscious at all. I was just completely moving through the motions of needing to eat less training. Amazing. And don't, you know, put yourself down for 40 kilos in six months is incredible, Olivia. And it's, it's such an amazing, inspiring thing. But like you said, you weren't, you know, addressing the, the things that were going on in your head. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much weight you lose or how much, you know, better you make like your life look, if you're not, you know, addressing the problems that are going mm -hmm. on in your head, then it's going to be a recipe for disaster later on. Yeah. Um, and I think just thinking about um, weight loss overall, um, we just really need to understand that you need to look firstly at your mental health. You need to look firstly at those factors that have gotten to you to that point. Um, and I think a lot of people don't do that. They look at the actions first, um, but they really need to go back and look at 
their own philosophy because every person's different. We're all made up different. We really need to understand why we do the things that we do and how we got there and psychology behind that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm interested to know during that weight loss period, what sort of things were you doing that made you lose that that staggering amount of weight in such a short period of time? Um, well, I had gone from literally abusing my body with disgusting food. Like I was eating whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I was not, I was not enlightened at all about food and what we need and what our body needs. So I was really just doing whatever I wanted. And I think that I was actually a self-sabotage technique for me as well, because I think I had such intense depression from (coughs) having to deal with my cancer. And, um, I think that that was just a way for me to kind of, um, sabotage who I was because I had a lot of feelings of guilt as well for surviving that experience because I had made a lot of friends who didn't make it and so I think that um the 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 food to me then was just a numbing a numbing process um and um so when I got into the weight loss I basically remember cutting carbs yeah I, I remember cutting carbs very intensely and not not because I thought that was going to make me lose weight, but that's because that's what I was told to do because that was what I was educated in at the time. And um, like I said, we did not have, I didn't have any fast information. Like we get so much evidence-based information in front of us every single day on Instagram and on YouTube. And because there are people now studying and learning and getting that info to everyone as quickly as possible. Um, so it's a bit of a rat race like that. But at, at the time when I was losing weight, like five years ago, it wasn't like that at all. Instagram was just up and coming. So when you want to start a journey like that, you really need to go seek out your own sources and you need to go to those people who you know you want to admire or be like so that's what I did I literally went up to people and I'd ask questions but you know I went through all of the motions I did the cutting carbs I did the pre-workouts I did the fat burners I did the you know taking garcinia I did all of these things because that's what I thought I was supposed to do um which is you know made me I'm actually thankful that I did all those things because I had to actually physically learn and go through it and and suffer the consequences of, you know, cutting down and, you know, extreme dieting and restrictiveness. I had to go through all of that to really understand why that's not relevant. Yeah. And I can definitely relate going through that sort of fad diet scheme and Mm. restrictive eating and overtraining Mm -hmm. sort of platform. And and it's so detrimental to your health and you don't realize it at the time until you hit a brick wall and you, you mm. realize that well this is you know something needs to change and and before we go any further what mm. was your you know what was your experiences with overtraining and restrictively eating and and what was the main purpose for you doing those things um so i really i think that when i think about my restrictiveness and why it began it really goes into the fact that when I started to lose weight, people noticed and people online and in my everyday life were feeding me with compliments consistently. You've lost so much weight. You look so skinny. You look so great. I was getting all of this positive reinforcement for all of this work that I was doing. And some of the work that I was doing wasn't positive. I actually developed a really serious body dysmorphia 
issue throughout this whole process, um, which is why I'm so heavy into language and people watching their language and how they speak to people because you just don't know what someone's going through. Um, so that restrictiveness for me became an addiction to the attention. It was an addiction to people accepting me and getting that gratification from from others that I was now, you know, someone that people aspired to look like. And I had never, ever had that before in my life. You know, in my friendship group, I was always the one that took a back seat. You know, I always knew that my friends were so beautiful, but I never considered myself to be beautiful or to be pretty or to have the body that, you know, anyone wanted. So now that I was getting that attention, it became addictive and I wanted to hear more of it. Um, so I started to really get into the bodybuilding aspects of things without even knowing, you know, I was training twice a day. I was doing fasted cardio. Um, I began, you know, having a relationship with food that was toxic where I could only eat what I needed to eat. I missed social seat. I missed being, you know, out socially. I missed family things. I couldn't go eat a meal with someone without having to think about, you know, calories or, um, you know, what was going into my body or overtraining, or if I did eat something, I then, you know, sabotaged myself in the gym and had to burn those calories off. Yeah, for sure. And you were going through the the sort of phase where you didn't want to eat something because you haven't trained or, mm. or you know, you, mm. you can't eat that because mm-hmm. you didn't do enough at the gym before yeah. and, and how toxic yeah. that can be on your mind. Yeah. You sound like you understand that. Definitely know exactly <laughs> what you're going yeah. through. Um, I'm having so many aha moments as I'm <laughs> listening to, to you speak, Olivia. And looking back now, you know, how do you think that that phase of your life played a big part in what you're, you know, what you're doing now and what you're trying to preach to the public? Um, so I feel as though those experiences for me, I feel like my journey was really done in backwards for what I want. What I would want my client to do now is kind of what I did in backwards. You know, I went through that. Um, I literally had to learn and teach myself what not to do to then tell people what to do. And I think that's why I'm, I love that I'm in this industry because I can actually just flip this on its head and just be like, you know what, I actually had to go through all this crap and I don't want you to actually have to deal with that. So let me just show you the way that I would have loved someone to teach me how to do this. Um, so going into the mind of my client and really understanding, first of all, in our cons- consultations, you know, why they're unhappy why they're coming to me and if they really understand why that you know why they are where they're at at that moment um because those are the things that we need to uncover first um getting people to understand their own habits um and understand why they take the actions and why they're unhappy in certain situations yeah for sure and just going to take a little bit of a step back and Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you're training twice a day, you know, you're restrictively eating, mm-hmm. doing all the calorie counting, all that sort of stuff. What was the turning point for you and what made you realize that, you know, you can't keep this up forever? Um, it went on, it actually went on for a couple of years. And every year I either got, I, I, I think I got further and further into um, wanting to change my body and wanting to change the way I looked. Um, and then when I realized that I could help other women, I went and got my PT certificate and I realized that I wanted to teach women all the knowledge that I knew about self-empowerment and about health and fitness, as it was at the time, just health and fitness when I got my certificate. Um, and then I went into the gym and the gym environment is then what started to shape my mentality towards things. I, I started to draw um, inspiration from a lot of people around me and created my PT business, which was Live Fit at the time, which really represents 
what I thought I understood about fitness at the time. Um, and as I grew up and as I become more mature, became more mature and as I became more aware and more enlightened as to the industry and what um, I wanted people to know about the industry, my business started to change and my business model started to change. And it's almost like I started to upgrade. Like I would upgrade like, you know, how you, would, you would your phone. You know, I felt like every six months, I was upgrading my software in my in my business as to what I felt like people needed to know and what was relevant. Um, so the gym environment is then wanted to start started to shape what I thought and believed about myself because I developed a very serious eating disorder whilst working within the gym. Um, so I had bulimia for um, almost two years, and that was stress induced, but also um, it was the it was the pressure of becoming a personal trainer. The pressure of becoming a personal trainer made me feel like I had to have a body that people aspired to look like. And I was in an environment where I had a lot of people making me feel like my body needed to look a certain way um, in order for me to succeed. And um, I was very torn with myself a lot of the time um, because I was working with you know, a lot of females that I loved and adored, but I just felt like I had so much pressure on me to upkeep so many standards and um, upkeep a personal standard with my body. Um, and then I actually went to Europe again. So you can see this is very a lot of synchronicity with Europe. Um, but I went to Europe again and I did a health and fitness yoga retreat in Europe. And um, when I came back from that, um, I was so... Um, I had such an out-of-body experience there that I really became... Be, I really began to understand what it meant to love who you are and love the person that you are. And I realized that the gym environment was not allowing me to do that. And it's not just me. It was so many other women in that environment that felt like they couldn't fully love the process of health and fitness and understanding who they are in that environment. So I think that's really what helped me shape, um, yeah, who I am as a trainer and coming out of that circumstance. Yeah, for sure. I can definitely relate with the with the gym environment mm. and, you know, how the image is so far from the truth that they're portraying. And, and mm. you know, it works for some people, but for majority of the population, I feel like it does more harm than good, that whole environment. And yeah. that's what I had to leave my gym as well. So yeah. getting oh, away wow. from... Yeah, yeah getting away is. from the whole scene. It's, it's <laughs> funny how we have a similar sort mm. of journey as well. Now, Olivia, how do you... Do you have any bits of advice for people at the moment that may be listening to this and and realizing that wow, like there's some toxic bit in my life stemming from health and fitness? How to avoid that that mm. process? Um, in terms of like mental mentally, both. Um, I think that the best thing that I did was I spent so much time on my own. I began to do things like. Um, yoga and meditation although those words are thrown around a lot and people like to say meditate it goes way further beyond just a 10 minute meditation it actually goes into you becoming self-aware um, and it's funny because within my glow business now I have five pillars and it's funny because I always mention through throughout my health and fitness journey hitting all, all those five pillars somewhere. I was enlightened about them, but we'll probably talk about them later. But just becoming self-aware um, in everything that you do. Um, we can go through our day without actually, you know, thinking about our actions. So for me, it was what is making me unhappy 
am I being true to myself? And how am I going to get myself out of the situation? Leaving the gym was um, such a scary jump for me. It was such a scary leap because that's where I had built my business and that's all that I knew. But I knew that I wasn't being true to myself personally. And so um, I took three months off the gym and I didn't train for three months. I just purely did yoga for three months because I knew that I needed to reconnect. I needed to find who I was again. And then organically I... Um, formed glow and that came to me um yeah but I really want to say as well that like um anyone who wants to lose weight or wants to go through a a lifestyle journey needs to think long term um for me the losing that that amount of weight in six months was probably the worst thing that I could have done because I immediately was thrown into this new body that I didn't really no one understand I had such extremes with my body weight um but you can't expect to like undo a lifetime's worth of negative behavioral patterns in such a short amount of time and if you are you're setting you're really setting yourself up for failure because you're not going to be able to be true to yourself in changing those behaviors and finding opposite actions when you're implementing things so quickly your habits take weeks and months to really form so you need to just go slow and steady and you need to look at the core root of why you're doing it in the first place if it's for just the physical aspect you're setting yourself up for failure you need to go deeper into who you are as a person and what you need as a person to just survive in this world what is your purpose of you being here and um your health and fitness will tie into that that's an amazing point that you raised there and i love what you mentioned before about you can't undo years of damage to your body mm. in two months or three months mm-hmm. and it's it's funny you're raising that i'm studying naturopathy at the moment and we're learning about the yeah. the natural process of healing and um as opposed to like a western medicine sort of approach whereas a, a natural holistic model of healing is mm. undoing the the damage that you've done in exact same time frame that you've done it so for example if you've got cancer it doesn't take you know it doesn't just form overnight it's years and years of of forming so to Mm. undo that process is years and years of undoing as well so i think that applies to every pillar in our life and if we can you know sort Mm. of be a bit more patient and and understand the process i think it'll make it a lot easier in terms of our journey and we'll learn a lot more things on the way definitely yeah awesome olivia now i was reading through through your website yesterday developing some questions for the podcast Mm -hmm. and i saw uh, topic that really caught my mind and you said that an unhealthy mind was more detrimental to you than a healthy body can yeah. you share some light on that and what you know, um, what that means to you yeah an, an unhealthy mind for me is obviously everybody is so is so personal but um for me it was just it was just the self-sabotage to my body I mean I was waking up every morning and looking at myself in the mirror and analyzing my body every single day and looking at ways you know parts of my body that I wanted to change and what needed to be fixed and that that was really what an unhealthy mind was for me um and it was just that personal judgment so I think that um that that's the core root of why I struggled so much because I never 
I never really understood my insecurities or I even when I thought that I was confident I was actually still insecure because in my mind I was still judging myself I was still negative to myself even though people would give me these compliments oh my god you look so great and I probably thought that I looked good at the time I was so critical of myself that it just it was kind of just like a facade for sure yeah and what steps did you take to create a healthier mind for yourself to go along with your healthy body um I really seeked the love and support of the people around me my family um my now boyfriend Charlie he's in the past year given me um like so much positive reinforcement but also I started to see a psychologist and that was the best thing that I could have done. Um, so solidly for the past two years, I've seen a psychologist and I would highly, highly recommend anyone who feels as though they have distorted eating, who feels as though they think, you know, and for me, you know, we think about mental health as, you know, um, depression, anxiety, and we think about eating disorders as bulimia and anorexia, but that's just not the case. You know, there's so many people who are stuck in the middle of not being diagnosed, but also having distorted eating, having body dysmorphia, but going through the motions of not really understanding that. So I would urge anyone that like really thinks, if you think about food more than at your meal times throughout the day, you have distorted eating. If you think about that meal that you ate last night that you shouldn't have eaten, you've, you've got distorted eating. If you look in the mirror and you're not like what you're seeing and you can't see yourself for who you are, then you have a dysmorphia of yourself because when you look in the mirror, you should see yourself. And the way that you see yourself should be you as a person, how you love yourself, all the things that you love about yourself, not just those physical assets. Sure, everybody's got their insecurities, but to a certain level, if there's something, if it's something that is actually prohibiting you from moving forward in your life and moving and evolving with your health and fitness, then I really think that you should seek professional help and get someone to help you understand those thoughts and why you feel that way. And I think that's the best thing that I could have done for myself. Um, I took a massive break from health and fitness. I took myself out of the industry. Um, I wanted to reconnect with myself. I you know, seek the help of my psychologist. I didn't put myself in uncomfortable situations. I had people around me who loved me for who I was, like who I am, you know, as Olivia, not because of what they think of me and my body, but who, you know, they love me for who I am. And by putting those people around me and just um, taking that bit of a break, I was able to reconnect with my core values and what makes me who I am and my, having my purpose. Amazing, Olivia. And just on the note of psychologists and, mm. and seeking professional help for mm-hmm. for mental mental illness and things like that, mm. it's gaining a lot of momentum at this point in mm. time. And, and it's it's good to see that people, you know, the message is being raised that you don't have to have something wrong with you to go and see a no. psychologist. And, yeah. and previously in the past, that's what the whole stigma around it is. Mm. And it's so great to see that, that things are changing and, and to go see professional help, like you'd go to your personal trainer each exactly. week, you know, go to see your psychologist for a check-in and yeah. really, you know, share those emotions that are going on in your brain because you can't deal with it yourself. And I think just in general, like, um, it doesn't even, you don't, it doesn't even need to just be a psychologist. Like any, and any coach in the health and fitness sector may, may be the person that you go see. Like my girl's, you know, thankfully I'm so enlightened about mental health and a lot of the info and a lot of the ways that I support my girls can be from um, elements that I've drawn from 
learning so much about psychology but you know you you need to go find that coach that can actually there be that support network for you who can actually help you out of that situation and um like just in saying that it's so important to find someone who connects with you because you need to really find a coach that doesn't just care about you in that second in that here in that moment in the gym or in that moment you know in your in your consult it's it's really about them supporting you throughout the journey to give you the tools you need to then do it yourself which is what I try and give my girls I always say to them don't expect to stay with me you know for a year I want you to understand that I'm going to educate you on what I need you to know and then I want you to feel comfortable enough to then you know turn away from me so you need to make sure that when you're you are going to a coach they really care about your well-being and your wellness and you know getting you on the right track yeah fantastic Olivia and you mentioned before that meditation and yoga played a pivotal role in your transition to, mm-hmm. you know, appreciating yourself and appreciating mm-hmm. what you have to offer a little bit more. What, how have you learned to love yourself and what are some tips for the listeners that they can do, you know, starting today to be able to, to be able to see the light in themselves? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's hard because, because of all the fast information we have in the industry. Um, and health and fitness now is just completely blown way out of what we know, which is just, you know, even just past facts, we've got all so many opinions because we have so many health professionals now who have got an opinion in the industry. But I think that I don't even like saying the words yoga and meditation because immediately they have such stigmas and, um, and listeners kind of feel like, oh yeah, that meditation thing again. So I think that um, you really need to open yourself up to trying new things because obviously the things that you're doing now aren't working for you. There are things you're doing in your everyday life that aren't working for you and they're not helping you get to where you want to be. So you need to do opposite actions, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing. Like for me, it was overtraining. For me, it was not sleeping, adrenal fatigue. These are all the things that, that I had. So I needed to do opposite actions. So overtraining meant that I needed to now rest, yoga, breathe, meditate. So that's the kind of, that's the role that it played for me. Um, Cause I think that yeah, we just need to kind of see those reflections in like the light and dark like circumstances. Um, but I think in terms of learning how to love myself, I, um, I, I really cleanse myself through meditation. I'd go through a lot of yin classes and just cry and just lay on the mat and cry because I had gone so many years having such out of body experience. I wasn't really, um, I wasn't really connecting with my body throughout my health and fitness journey. My mind was always racing and saying so many negative things to myself that um, when I did start practicing yin and I started to breathe real deeply into my body and connecting to every part of my body and realizing that I was damaging my body so much um I started to have a real cleansing um awakening if you want to call it and um yeah I I would tell myself a lot of positive positive reinforcements like even in the shower you know I would you know wash my body parts and like just tell myself that I loved certain parts of my body because I needed to connect back to those areas that I was being so mean and negative towards and once I realized that you know every cell in my body was really listening to me I started to not take that for granted because my mind was literally killing my body by the things that I was saying I was actually aging my body I was was deteriorating my body just from my thoughts so once I realized how connected my body was 
it became easier for me to start that process of I need to think better. I need to think more positive. I need to actually start loving myself because I'm actually going to kill myself if I keep thinking the way that I'm thinking. Amazing. I'm blown away by by the whole process and and your journey so far, Olivia. And I, I think that meditation and yoga is so relevant for us in our everyday mm-hmm. life. We are constantly go, 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 and we never actually really take that time mm-hmm. to you know sit down and really absorb you know what's going what's going on in our everyday life you know i often hear the the saying oh life's too short you know have fun but life isn't short life shouldn't be short life is such a long journey and it's only short because we're so disconnected so yoga and meditation is just a tool that connects us back to our life and really makes us appreciate the shorter things and you don't realize how long 60 seconds truly is when you're connecting to your breath and really involved in meditation and i think that's like part of my journey as well having owning my own business there was such stress in that and it took such a toll on me and um i used to feel like i couldn't sit down for a second because you know i own my own business i had to keep evolving i had to keep moving I had to keep learning and um that was absolutely destroying me and i did develop um, adrenal fatigue which basically meant that and i actually developed um a very serious sleep eating disorder where I would get out of bed in my sleep and I would eat. And um, that that was a massive, because I initially had restless leg syndrome. Um, so these are, all, these are all issues happening within my brain um, that was now affecting my sleep. So um, I then seek the help of like Chinese herbalist and just trying to understand really what was going on. Um, but it was basically because I... I was just way too stimulated all the time. Um, so that was really scary for me. And um, that was part of the reason why I actually left the gym environment because I realized my health, I can't be preaching health if I'm, I'm doing all this crazy stuff in my sleep and I'm having all these issues, you know. It, feeling like you were at my body was not in my control anymore because I had just been going, going, going for way too long um, when in the start of my PT career. Um, really helped me to see that there was so much more beyond just exercise and nutrition that there was things going on within the brain that we really needed to understand and get to the bottom of amazing and i think that's a perfect segue into what you're doing now with mm-hmm. with glow fitness and i'll hand the reins over to you i love the name by the way what does it stand for yeah so um glow for me means um it really means shining your own personal light um, and not just in the way of skin or body or looks, but really to, to glow is really to just have your own personal confidence and to just have your own purpose and love for the person that you are and letting that shine through, you know, your everyday life. And, um, yeah, so within, within my glow business, um, so it's glow. Initially I had glow female fitness club and, um, I'm now calling calling my business Glow Female Lifestyle Club because I really feel as though um, aside from wellness and you know having a holistic approach and um, understanding mind body soul, you know your lifestyle is what's most important to every other factor in your life. So yeah, Glow Female Lifestyle Club. Um, within my business, I um I've broken um broken my business down to five pillars. So nourishment mindfulness self-awareness and environment and um those five pillars really helped me to um build build 
connections with my clients that go deeper than just giving them a meal plan and a fitness plan. It's really helping um, us and them to uncover all of these other elements that are so important in their lifestyle. So for instance, movement may not just be within the gym. You know, we need to understand what people need, what, what, what that girl needs at that moment. She might need to just work out at home. She might need just to come and see me in the gym to train. She may need just to go to yoga. You know, movement is just something that doesn't need to be, you know, deadlifts and squats, although that is, you know, the kind of strength that I want my girls to have. And I'll always push them to learn how to train functionally just because I want them to know how to move their body better for their everyday life. And I think, um, <clears throat> movement for me has been so um, sected where I've just thought that I needed to get to the gym to burn calories. Um, but now I can understand that my body every day needs to be strong just for the functionality of the things that I need to get done. You know, as a woman, if I want to, you know, one day have a child, I want my body to be strong enough to be able to go through that process. I want to be able to have, you know, um, my mind clear and functioning well because of my movement and because of those hormones and endorphins that come along with moving more. So that's how I want my clients to view um, that first pillar. Um, And then my second pillar, which is nourishment, um, which I could have called it, you know, eating skills or food or whatever, or just nutrition. But nourishment is really about taking food and giving it to your body in a way that your body actually needs it. So the way I see food now is like, I'm going to give my body the food that it needs for its current circumstance because me and you, we don't need the same kind of nourishment. You know, I might have some something else that needs to be fixed through food. So I now see food as medicine. So that's how I want my clients to see food, that they need to look at their food and think, right, how much nutrients can I get in this meal right now to give my body the best of the best? And I think that goes back to, to like self-love. Like that's what self-love is. It's including all of these elements into your life that, you know, the the actions that you take to show yourself love. It's not like I love myself or like I love my eyes or whatever. It's just about doing those things that help you become the person that you are. Um, And that's how you show love. Um, The third pillar, which is mindfulness, um, which is another word that the industry likes to throw around that people don't really understand. I think mindfulness is really about trying to break those habits that you've formed over the years in a way that um, creates a positive reaction. So you need to become aware of yourself. You need to be able to breathe. You need to be able to slow down. And you also need to become um, a kind kind of see yourself from an outside perspective and kind of look in and see what you're doing and why you're doing it and just become a conscious person. So I work with my clients a lot behind, you know, what they can do in their everyday life to kind of deter them from making those negative decisions. What is the impacts in their life that are making them not be true to themselves and show themselves that self, show themselves that self-love? I mean, that's what mindfulness means for me. Um, and it's a kind of a good segue into the fourth pillar, which is self-awareness, which I think is very different. Self-awareness is really being able to control 
those actions and that output, like being aware of yourself in that moment. Um, and also goes into like your cooking and your food and the way that you see your food and what you're going to give yourself to eat. Um, when you're very aware of yourself and the reasons why you do things, um, you're more likely to yeah be true to, to who you are. Um, the fifth pillar is environment. And going back into self-awareness, actually, um, a good example that I can give is one of my clients actually came to me a few weeks ago and um, she said to me that she had to leave work. She left work early the night before because her manager had bought pizza and she had eaten two pieces of pizza and she was so disgusted and humiliated with herself and she felt so guilty for it that she had to leave work and she couldn't finish her shift. And um, to me, that that's exactly what teaching a client how to be self-aware is, you know, that in that moment, what was it? What was what were her triggers that made her feel as though she couldn't control herself and why she had such an emotional relationship with food? Why was she being so restrictive with her food? Um, so when she came to me, I said, right, we're not training today because what you're doing is you're now associating that negative eating behavior with the gym. So most client, most trainers may, may just say, or PTs, I'm like, right, let's just like sweat it out, all good. But in my head, I'm thinking to myself, this poor young woman now thinks she needs to come into the gym and burn these calories off from just eating two pieces of pizza. So you need to have that disassociation. So I need her to become self-aware. So I sat down with her for a whole hour. And um, by the end of the session, we actually realized that she didn't want to be at the job she was at. So she didn't even know that before. So that's really what that pillar is about, is just like, helping these girls to have out-of-body experiences deeper than what they actually think they know because subconscious mind is really working over time for a lot of people that they don't even realize so getting them to become kind of at the forefront of their life and just getting in the you know the driver's seat rather the passenger seat um is really important for me so the fifth pillar as well kind of was in that which is environment because she realized that she was in a toxic environment she didn't like the work that she was doing. She didn't want to be there. So, um, yeah, that's kind of very a lot of synchronicity throughout my whole business, which is what I think health and fitness is. It's about all of these elements coming together and supporting one another and um, kind of uplifting. Um, so environment as well, which is the fifth, uh, the fifth pillar, sorry, is not just about people think like, oh, your environment is just like having a clean space, you know. It's way deeper than that. Your environment is literally everything in your site that is affecting the person that you are your environment is people your environment especially right now which is mostly relevant is your phone and your social media and your computer and it that is the thing those are the things that are actually inputting energy into you you know when you wake up in the morning and i've been talking about this a lot on my instagram you know you're in a parasympathetic nervous state so you're completely relaxed when you turn over and you look at your phone you're then firing your mind up and you're then you know causing stress through your mind without having even gotten out of bed so these are environmental factors that are really having wear and tear on our brain and our mental health and the reason why we can't just get stuff done olivia i'm blown away by your willingness to push past and always ask why because that is the most important question that i'm you know that i try and strive is why so there's always an answer to it and you're pushing past the the um the stigma associated with with health and fitness and you're asking why and you're pushing deeper to find out what the root causes are it's it's amazing to see that there there are people that truly do care about their the wellness of their client as opposed to just you know 
giving them an hour sweat session. Mm-hmm. And I love it. It's great. Good job. Um, I really want to know before we go any further, yeah. why are you only working with women specifically? What, what sort of sparked that interest? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. No one's ever actually asked me this question before, but I feel as though um, for me personally, I've just always had so many women around me. I mean, I'm one of 12 grandchildren on my in my father's side it's made up of 10 girls and I just feel like I have a really strong innate connection to women and I'm really able to connect to women on a deeper level rather than just a surface superficial level I'm actually able to form that trust quite quickly and I think that's something that I really wanted to give back you know if it, it worked well for me especially to train with women and to form a safe female community that's what I was going to do and I think being having been overweight um I I did definitely feel the wrath of men from that experience I felt the lack of attention I felt the way that you were kind of isolated if you were overweight and I know it's the same for men as well from women, but because I had seen it from that perspective, I grew those prejudices as a teed girl being overweight and feeling unwelcome. You start to feel isolated in yourself and then going into the gym, losing the weight and then seeing the way men change towards me, I became very hostile because I thought that that also fit into the reasons why I became insecure, why I didn't know who I was anymore because I felt like, my body was then defining me. People wanted attention from me because they liked the way I looked and they didn't like who I was or they weren't that interested in getting to know me for who I was as a person. Unreal. Great summary there. And I, I think that women will relate a bit better to women that have been through that and you've got that string to your mm. bow as opposed to someone else. You've been through all these amazing, mm. you know, life-changing events. I don't want to put a negative light on it because they're all positive lights. They've, yeah. they've grown you into the person you are today and I, I think that having the ability to connect with women is definitely um, a string to your bow. I was also reading something on your your website yesterday and it was <laughs> the, the power of merging breath and and physical exercise into Mm. one and I think this is often a part that's overlooked in the fitness industry and and it's just simple breathing we do it involuntarily but if we can actually stop and and address the fact that we're breathing and how powerful our breath can be um I think it's just going to go a long way into helping us achieve our goals why do you Mm. put such an emphasis on on breath and, and what do you do to highlight that in your sessions I mean, I, I feel bad because I don't even feel like I have given enough gratitude to the, my, the way that I even breathe. Like, I feel grateful that I have even found the automated response to just breathe when I'm feeling stressed because there are so many people out there who have not found that ability yet. Um, but, you know, within the gym, especially just for, like, training and strength purposes as well, like being able to breathe through your nose and getting air and oxygen into your stomach is going to be completely like um, revolutionizing for the way that your body reacts to training. Um, but even for my clients, you know, when they come in and they, you know, this is where it goes into you need to make sure that you're working with a PT who really cares about you. It goes deeper than, all right, here's our program, here are your deadlifts, these are your squats, which is why sometimes I feel a bit uncomfortable in the gym environment because that is kind of very much what's going on around me. But I need to ask my client, like, what has your day been like? 
You know, what has your week been like? You know, what, how's work this week? You know, and if my client says to me, oh, you know what? I've been so stressed. I did not sleep last night. Well, like those are the kind of things that I need to put into practice in the session. I'm not going to give them a session that is going to cause their bodies to be so extremely stressed where they're not going to be able to perform or lift or, you know, if they're doing a squat, which they usually, you know, you know, squat quite fine and they can't get it there. I need to know, like, are you okay? Like, how come, how come you're not, your mind's not there? Because it goes deep into the mind. Like, you need to be able to connect to your body. And so many people are training without having any connection whatsoever. And so I need my client to be aware. And the way that I make them aware is through their breath. I'll get them to sit on the ground. You can ask people in the gym who see me all the time like I get my clients to put their legs against a wall and just take long deep breaths I make them open their nostrils up to get as much air in and raise their stomach up just to calm themselves down and just you know get them to really reconnect back into their bodies because I don't want them to be thinking about you know something else while they're training I need them to really enjoy that experience and love that experience um but for me because I have um practiced so much breath work um I feel as though it's now something that I do when I'm feeling overwhelmed. You know, I can sit, you know, I like, I love to sit in the sauna and take really deep, big belly breaths and just feel my stomach rise up and fall. And just that is even difficult to do, you know, to get yourself to slow down that much. And if you find that it is that difficult for you to breathe, you need to keep breathing because you really, really need it. Definitely. And I guess this links back into the yoga and meditation mm-hmm. sort of phase of your life and how you've taken breath to be, you know, such this amazing thing. You're placing huge emphasis mm-hmm. on it with your clients. And I think that's what I'm trying to disassociate the stigma with yoga and meditation for the people out there, that it doesn't have to be sitting on a mat and, you know, doing a downward 100%. dog. It's just sitting in traffic and being able to combat the stress of that red light 100%. and get through it with your breath. And... Um I think that everybody, we all see things as like so permanent. Like I probably have not been to a yoga class in like about, you know, four or five months. Actually, I did do aerial yoga, which is a bit funner and a bit more upbeat. Because sometimes I just, I do struggle to actually, because I do suffer from anxiety naturally, sometimes I actually feel anxious about getting to that yoga class. And um, that's when I know I really need to get there. So instead of doing that, you know, I'll just sit at home and maybe just do some writing or I may just lay down on you know my carpet and just take some deep breaths or I'll go sit in the sauna and take those breaths that I need to take um but it doesn't need to be a permanent thing you know you can just you know try yoga for three four months and see how you feel about it and you know then try different forms of you know meditating and breathing and it may just be that you get your friend to come over and you guys can just practice you know doing a meditation a guided meditation you know it can be whatever you want it to be for me meditation at the moment is cooking like I love cooking um so for me to really stop and focus because meditating and becoming self-aware and becoming conscious and mindful and all of these things don't need to be so stigmatized they can just be through actions that make us feel calm so cooking for me makes me feel calm sitting with my dog and you know patting my dog that's that's an output of energy do you know what I mean because you're relaxing in that moment without breathing um I mean sorry you know while breathing and calming down your brain um 
I try not to do things that are too stimulating when I want to wind down. Like I won't watch a movie or I won't kind of go on my phone. Um, I try and do things that are very disconnected from technology. Amazing, Olivia. And I think that my listeners have gained so much information just from listening to this podcast because I definitely have. Now, you mentioned before that you're, you have this link to Europe and, and mm-hmm. in particular to the lifestyle over there. Yeah. I want to know what's in the pipeline for your retreats over in Croatia. I'll yeah, let you take so the wheel there. excited. Um, so I went to Croatia to do the, the yoga retreat um, and... Yeah, I'm just I'm very, I'm feeling very I'm feeling very grateful and I'm feeling very much as though I have had found my purpose and my life has gone in the direction that it's supposed to go down um, from this opportunity that's come out of this um, yoga retreat. So I basically just googled you know yoga retreats in Croatia you know two years ago because I felt like I needed to go escape and find myself somewhere, and um, I had this life changing experience and then. Um, evening who owns um, this yoga retreat called Sunkroklet in um, Havar in Croatia she uh, skyped me about six months ago now and asked me to collaborate with her to bring a kind of fitness lifestyle transformation element into her yoga retreat Um, so I'm going to go over there for two weeks and teach two two different retreats they're based upon like my knowledge and my learnings and the way I feel about transforming your lifestyle so um the retreats are all about um doing those cooking classes becoming conscious having a lot of grounding doing a lot of grounding work so really connecting with the the earth um and just um stopping and really finding those things that you love about yourself so we're doing a lot of self-love workshops doing a lot of yoga really connecting all of the elements that i believe in into kind of a seven to ten day um transformation retreat amazing and where can people find some more information about that if they want to tag along yeah so um they can go on my instagram page there's a link in my bio and then um they can click that and also like i'm up for um just like skype chats like if people just want to send me direct messages like i'm always up to give people more information and do phone calls and stuff like that Definitely, yeah. and I'll have those links in the show notes for you guys. Olivia, doing amazing things with the platform that you've created. I want to know, before we wrap up the podcast, mm-hmm. what does a day in the life of Olivia look like now after you've obtained all this information and all these experiences that have made you into the person mm-hmm. you are today? I think um, I think it's that's kind of like a double-edged sword question for me because um, previously I probably would have said like, oh, I wake up and like my life, my, my day is kind of like risk, I do that and what I realized is that like, oh, you don't need to have, I never need to have those pressures on myself anymore to be perfect and um, I really try and push that message to my clients is that like, even though, you know, most mornings I'd like to wake up and, you know, I do write down something I'm grateful for and I do take my vitamins and I do drink my aloe vera juice some days that just doesn't happen for me. And um, I think that's what the, the most beautiful thing about you know having your own health and fitness journey is that accepting that you know every day is so different and being okay to adapt because you're okay with yourself. Um, and I think, I think that um, I can't really say that I do have one solid answer for what a day in the life of me looks like. I, I love that yeah. response <laughs> as well because I was, for the past couple of months, I've been a bit, a couple of months, not month, <laughs> past couple of months I've been a bit, you know, steering away from my regime and, and I've mm. absolutely loved the process. I used to get up in the morning, you know, 
put my phone on the other side of the room so I physically have to get up yeah. get dressed be super pumped all the time and, yeah. and I guess t- there was just a point in time where I, where I took a couple of days off over the long weekend and I realised that you know I don't want to do that anymore so mm. for the past month I've been having my phone next to me in the bed you know I've just been rolling out of rolling out of bed yeah. and sort of having this relaxed sort of mentality and, and I, I was thinking the other day oh you know I really should get back into routine and do all these things and this has just made me connect that you know it's okay to to be able it to is. not have your routine yeah. um for a certain period of time but you know it, it's good for growth and development to realize yeah. that and I think just like I think that people just need to realize that like your health and fitness it's not it's not linear like it's not a straight line ever just like the way our life is and I think what I've learned in the past 10 years is that our life is so complex and our brain is so complex and the way our bodies work is so complex what you really just need to know is that your body is working for you and it is really alive and happening and it is actually exerting energy and inputting energy that you know is is real and we just don't actually want to sit and believe that we don't want to believe that our bodies are as real as they are so i think that we all just need to um start to like just appreciate those things about ourselves and just give ourselves that nourishment that we need that's going to help us you know feel good move as much as we can and and you know enjoy ourselves and enjoy our life and be happy amazing Olivia, I know you've nailed home a few messages and, and how you conduct your life and how you educate your clients on, but just to end the podcast, what is your main message and why do you get out of bed every day? Um, I get out of bed every day because I really I really feel like I know that this is this is my purpose and this is what the, the job that I'm doing and the work that I'm doing is to spread the is spread the message of wellness and and not not just spread it to my clients but because this is this is how we create change we we teach people and then those people teach other people and so for me when my client comes to me and says you know I, I took my friend to the gym or you know I'm giving advice to these people at work that that is my reward that's why I'm doing my job because we we need more we need to create our own change we need to go we are going up against these big companies you know we we have to have these voices we have to have our own voice um and we need to create our own change in terms of the wellness space so that's what i'm trying to do and that's what i'm trying to do with my women and i'm just trying to get them to see that you know um our bodies are our bodies we we have our body shape because that's what's given to us um that's that's what the world wanted for us and whatever we see online the images that we see online you know that's what was meant for those people but um we need to have a disassociation with um a lot of things that we see so um just starting to respect your body and um just doing things for yourself and learning things for yourself because you want to yeah amazing great summary there olivia now i know a lot of females would be sitting there you know wanting to get in contact with you and, mm-hmm. and having so many aha moments but not only females males as well i'm sitting here and i'm i'm starting to realize and make a deeper connection to the things that I've doing and how can I, I can, you know, better myself along my journey. Where can people get in contact with you and, and how, how do you like to be approached? Um, I think it's, that's funny because it my, people, the way people have contacted me has been very fluid and it's always from a client's client or someone's told a friend. Um, but the best way would just be to jump on like my Instagram page or even just Google glow, um, female lifestyle club and my website will come up. 
um, but just going on to um, Olivia Marie Crisara on Instagram or like glow underscore um, female lifestyle club you can just send me a direct message there or even just jump on my website and just like send an email through cool yeah and I'll have those details in the show notes for you guys Olivia thank you so much for your time today you're doing amazing things and you're changing the stigma for the whole industry and they need more people I know the fitness industry needs more people like you spreading this message so I'm really excited to to get some feedback on this podcast oh thank you so much for having me Matt loved it and that's this week's dose of euphoria connect with myself and the euphoria health community on Instagram or Facebook at euphoria health Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes, and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, and remember, don't settle for anything less than euphoria.